Hello. Welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Modern Medieval, the podcast. I am Megan. And I'm Ella. On this cold, cold day, we will speak about something really exciting. Yeah, so as most of you are probably aware, because I think everyone has Netflix, the new Netflix original film just dropped recently called The Dig about the Sutton Hoo excavation in 1939. Yeah. And so I feel that it's kind of obvious that this is something that we have to talk about. Yeah, it would be kind of a bit of a, of a missed opportunity not to speak about the new thing in town. <laughs> yeah, not just uh, because of the way that it thinks about history and everything, but because this excavation in Sutton Hoo of the early, um, Anglo-Saxon you know, burial ship is so extraordinary in how informative it has been for early medieval understanding in England. This dig literally took this era out of what is known as you know the dark ages yeah. because so little was known. And, and it's actually quite interesting in the film one of the um, archaeologists say Oh, the dark ages aren't so dark anymore. And that's quite interesting, like the idea of like bringing information to light. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this dig is something, I mean, it's one of like two or three things now that really inform this era. So just imagine if this dig hadn't been discovered. We'd still be muddling around. I mean, yeah, a lot of it would have been so kind of conjecture and everything and this what was found you know the artifacts so like the gold belt buckles the the famous Sutton Hoo helmet um the cloisonne so the way that the jewels are like woven together and everything with garnet which is you know a priceless jewel a lot of this makes even like literature so something like Beowulf not seem so fantastical it places it more in reality saying oh this actually like these materials and everything existed have you read Beowulf um, out of curiosity uh, <laughs> so we had to read it my sophomore year of high school and I think okay. I read the first section because I think it's like three sections or something yeah. uh and then didn't finish it but I know the story arc and then I felt very like chuffed with myself because in university when I transferred to UC Berkeley I was able to like escape early English literature oh really because I had like taken other classes I did take a medieval course where we were supposed to read Canterbury Tales which I did not read and now as a medievalist I feel ashamed and I will have to go back oh dude they they are funny though like I mean I haven't read I'm basing this off like my own medieval (laughs) <laughs> books that I've read but like these stories are really quite cool I haven't yeah. read Beowulf but it's one of those things that like in my very long reading list at some point I aim yeah I think I was just really daunted because it's written in meter and it's a long poem it's long yeah. and I just wasn't at a space in my life to want to read it when that's, I was 16 but now I, I am intrigued it. because it's important yeah. and same with the Canterbury Tales I've read select stories in it yeah. you know uh but I've never read the whole text Same, yeah. yeah fair enough so yes but so that's just kind of 
touching the iceberg of yes, how exactly. important Sutton Who is. Yeah. I think before we kind of dive in more, uh, we should both kind of share our relationship to archaeology as a whole, since we've never okay. talked about this. Really, yeah, <laughs> it's this is our first, I guess, scientific episode. episode. So, Ella, why don't you go first because you have a yeah, kind of so, exciting. Um, <laughs> so, my uncle and aunt um, are archaeologists, and they teach at the University of Liverpool and Sheffield. Um, and I think I'm fairly certain that both of their specializations are in Sicily. Um, and I know that my aunt studies like um, soil and does like microscopic like studies to understand what kind of um, agricultural um, foods they would have and would breed and things like that. And I know that my uncle has a different kind of specialization, but we never really talk about it. Um, so it's Fair actually... Enough through the dig that um, I've been able to discover a bit more what they do and and how it works really. So my, my relationship to archaeology basically is just one of a, an external person who doesn't know very much but is quite interested and intrigued. That's great. Yeah, myself. So I actually took an archaeology course for my oh. anthropology degree at Cal Berkeley um, because the way that the credits went, it was a course that I had to take. And I was excited because, you know, Indiana Jones and yeah, the first that. day of class, our professor, June Sinceri, who's like an amazing archaeologist, he showed Indiana Jones and he's like, this is not archaeology. So this bad. is like, <laughs> you know, romanticized and blah, blah, blah. There are elements, but it's a very scientific yep. field that you don't always realize. Like yep. you're just talking about what your aunt does, which sounds kind of like um, botanic archaeology, but then the soil, I don't know where that falls in. But yeah, I mean, I can, she's agreed to come on so we can ask her more precise questions. Yeah, in the future. <laughs> Not um, like, uh, I think she works with soil. <laughs> but yeah, I remember in my course, just how sometimes the texts were very like chemistry based and I was yeah. a bit out of my element. And there's also, this will be something interesting to ask your aunt. There's a lot of ethics around archaeology, yep. especially body exhumation, which they lightly touch upon in the dig, kind of. Kind of, yeah. It's, With, I feel like they, I mean, the, the film was amazing, but I feel like they couldn't really, like, to go in detail or in depth, it would have been a five-hour film. Yeah, we'll kind of bookmark that for yeah. when we talk about the film a bit more, because that was something with my, you know, one semester of experience, but we spent a lot of time because I was in an American university thinking about the Pacific Northwest and bodies of like uh, indigenous people's burial grounds yeah. and who, you know, who has the right like the inquest, who has the right to the bodies and bodies being, you know, put in storage because they're quote unquote important to history. But then the ancestors being like, no, this body deserves to be on its land with its people yeah. and put to rest. This is something I found always quite interesting. You know how, like, if you go to the Louvre or to the British Museum, or I'm saying mainly of the Louvre, like, you have some more of, like, Egypt and pyramids. You have, like, mummies. Mm -hmm. And I've always found it kind of maybe disrespectful to have mummies on display. Well, and this is a really large, I think, in the past few years, discourse that's going on in art history and anthropology. We see a lot of materials that were wrongfully taken, you know, during imperialism and colonialism 
returned to their native or home countries. And something like mummies are further extensions of that, that there, if you look at like King Tut or something and the tours and all of that, there are really interesting arguments on both sides as to the value of display versus the disrespect, as you're saying, of this body. And because, you know, these people can't advocate for themselves because they're thousands of years old. Whereas, you know, at UCL, we had, um, who was it, like Bentham or whatever, the wax figure in the university by the museum. And he wanted his body on display. So like, even though it's a wax figure, the bones and everything are in that wax figure in this wood case that you can just walk up to. just so strange? Like I remember walking past it, you have like people eating their lunch right next to it. And I was like, (laughs) I mean, I love the kind of like macabre. So I was, but yeah, like he chose that. He wanted that. So it's not this type of person to want that though. (laughs) Right. But I guess I'm just getting at like, he had the choice and he had to be able to vocalize. So yeah, this film doesn't really touch on that in like an, upfront way it's kind of in between lines yeah but um I guess just to kind of conclude with my experience with archaeology (laughs) no 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 no. it's great I did I was selected as a student to work on an extra project in my archaeology course so uh, I had to apply for it but then I was selected so I helped craft a museum exhibit for Abiquiu Museum and Abiquiu New Mexico so we photographed and measured and selected artifacts that we thought were important to be on display at this museum for um, this old Spanish like church area and then like the indigenous yeah. population around that. And so we were, you know, trying to find artifacts that speak to this history of this area. So like one of the artifacts I selected was also a piece of trash. It was part of a, um, a cup from KFC. No way. <laughs> but it was from, I can't, I did so much research because I had like the image of the Colonel. So I like went through the history. I think I you must know so much about it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I had it. Cause I mean, I obviously wasn't working with like atoms and electrons or anything like no, that, of course. but visually doing the research. I think that it was from like the sixties or something, cool. but it was kind of like, where did this cup come from? There are no KFCs in the area. Like, So that was a person coming or like, did the wind blow it? And I just thought that was really fascinating alongside it being found along artifacts that were hundreds of years old. Yeah, Um, it's very cool. I mean, yeah, I obviously being Italian, like archaeology is something that um, is very present in Italy, but like, mm -hmm. it's interesting to have like firsthand experience, which I I really don't have. And it's interesting to have people talking about it because it's something, it instigates Uh, curiosity in my opinion yeah I mean I guess I just wanted to bring that up because we had to like wear gloves and everything was like systematically put in a labeled little plastic bag you had to be really careful and put them on certain trays when you carried them around the room you had like very specific procedures it was very systematic it was very careful yeah um and again you just think of like an Indiana Jones or something you don't see the like tediousness that goes behind it and even the dig doesn't necessarily talk about that because it showed the highlight moments yeah I mean they kind of showed you know them brushing the materials when they were discovering them but it's like you have to be 
so careful. And at this time, they didn't have the tools that we have today where you can do like a a particle scan to see if there's something below you. Yeah. So I just want to bring that up because it is like a very scientific, some would say tedious field, but it has a lot of value, but it's also ethically bound. Yeah. And anyways, I'm rambling now, but. (laughs) It's really interesting. I mean, I think obviously like, it's nice to debunk myths around certain fields because obviously you just have a perception of it and it can be maybe completely wrong. Yeah, and when we were talking, Elle, before we started, and I'm just thinking another film that's like very uh, archaeological is something like Jurassic Park, right? Yeah. And how paleontology is a subsect of archaeology, which is a subfield of anthropology. Yeah. And... Again, that's like very tedious. People spend their lives never finding anything. But recently, this is linked to like something in the news. There has recently been a dinosaur skeleton unearthed in Argentina that could be considered the largest land animal ever. So this is from Smithsonian Magazine. And the headline subhead section says, the skeleton is still far from complete, but paleontologists say what they've found suggests the dinosaur may be more than 120 feet long. That's so, that's so big. That's, I can't even like really process how big that is. I don't even really understand, like, yeah, I don't really, can't imagine it even. Yeah, so, but if you look at the images of these like, you know, bones and everything, just how meticulous it is. And it is just exciting because how often are like dinosaur bones in the news yeah at like a dig site um so also like I feel like my modern knowledge of like paleontology comes from Ross and friends who is a paleontologist (laughs) so like you know like my understanding of it is very like in like it's not even basic it's just like bare minimum (laughs) I mean that isn't like a bad one though because you part of the joke of him is that it's so scientific and that is true. Like dinosaur bones are cool, but it's a science. Yeah. It's, and you know, as a child, you're like dinosaurs and I'm going to dig the bones. Yeah. And it's again, yeah. this kind of myth where it's like, nope, it is yeah. work. My aunt uh, was saying like when my cousin goes to the dig with her when in the summer and basically mm-hmm. like my, my cousin who's like 11, she was like, Oh, but like, what are you doing? And she was like, well, I'm analyzing the soil. And she was like, so you're good at math? And she was like, yes, I have to be very good at math. <laughs> I was just like, I never thought about that, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like behind the scenes. Yeah. Um. So I guess our next, you know, step in this discussion is what did you think, you know, very broadly of the film, Hello? So um, I'd heard, I mean, I'd, I've obviously gone to the British Museum, so I'd seen Sutton Hill, but Sutton um I wasn't very knowledgeable about it and I didn't know everything so that was a very interesting film mm-hmm. in my mind for some reason I didn't think it was I thought that like the fact that it was discovered in 1939 was um probably like for dramatic effect I didn't actually think that it was all more or less in the same time period I thought that they might, may have taken some liberties um and I thought it was re- but actually you know obviously it's historically correct um and I thought it was really interesting um it's made me really curious to go see it um 
and I thought it was overall very good I think obviously like a short film can't do justice to months and months and months of discovery Mm -hmm. and obviously there was like the romanticized things and all that kind of things that play into into the story plot but like it was quite interesting I thought yeah I mean it's one thing that can I think unanimously be said is it is a beautiful film yeah it's very soft pastel earth tones with like golden light yeah um I found it at points a bit slow and I know that it's meant to yeah I don't know it felt slow and it had some problematic bits to it I found so I think some of the like romantic bits like at the very spoiler alert at the very end when Peggy Piggott is like sleeping yeah with I just was like they had to get sex in it felt like I felt so let down by that and the character that she is you know the the nephew Rory is a fictional character he didn't um so actually and this links into some other problems I had so the you know he kind of takes on the role of being the um the photographer of the dig and the process and he's a fictionalized character in reality, the photographers of the dig were two women. Oh. Mercy Lack and Barbara Wagstaff, who were friends. And they were um, teachers and close friends uh, on holiday in the area. And, quote, with a keen interest in both archaeology and photography. That's very cool. And so they photographed in August. So this is around the time of the inquest. So this is kind mm-hmm. of post-dig, but everything's still exposed. Yeah. And I, so, and that's information from the National Trust yeah. about Sutton Who. Yeah. And I just felt so, like, disheartened by that. Because yeah. um, I knew I, that yeah, going yeah. in. I did I did yeah. some research about more about the dig. So I was curious how this was going to be portrayed. Yeah, fair enough. The other thing that is kind of fucked up, I think. And again, mm-hmm. this is going to go with women not getting their dues. So... Peggy Piggott, the character that's portrayed by Lily James, yep. was not a bumbling, unexperienced amateur. She had previously led an excavation dig yeah. prior to this. And it was like an expert in the field when she came in to this dig. Mm. And she had been around archaeology since an early age. So she had a diploma, which is the equivalent to a degree. But because mm. women couldn't get degrees at that time from the University of Cambridge in 1934, which she then followed with a postgraduate diploma from the Institute of Archaeology in 1936. And that's where she met Stuart Piggott. And um, she, prior to this, she was a highly skilled archaeologist and published works on numerous sites spanning the Iron Age and the Bronze Age. And her skills as an excavator made her a natural choice for Charles Phillips' team assembled to finish the excavation of the Great Ship Burial in 1939. And she was indeed the first of the team to discover gold at the site. So, and then to link to you, Ello, she does later on move to Sicily, where she wrote on Italian archaeology and met her second husband, Luigi Guido, where later That's in life... an Italian name, <laughs> Where later in life, she became an expert on glass beads and published several works. But what the fuck? Yeah, it's true. I mean, to be honest, like, 
not gonna lie most of like the character lines I was more focused on Basil Brown which and I then, think we were supposed yeah and to... then I, I, I found it like I, I did the reverse so like I watched the film and then I went on the National Trust and looked at like um what it's like to visit Sutton who and and things like that but mm-hmm. I didn't know any of that that is always the yeah, and Bust like archaeologists it. now, when they watch it, have been tweeting about it. So, um, oh, read it, read it. <laughs> yeah, so I have a few. So, one is uh, Dr. Rachel Pope, Director of Fieldwork at Liverpool University's oh. Archaeology Department. And she's talking about how Peggy's portrayal, you know, quote, annoyed her. So, she tweeted, For the record, Peggy Piggott had already dug at Verulamium with the Wheelers and Prehistoric Society's flagship excavation at Little Woodbury with Gerhard Bersu by this point. She was an incredibly well-trained excavator by her early 20s, had already published three papers. She said, yeah, I'm not happy about this. She was one of the best trained excavators in Britain. She was not in any way, quote, clumsy, end quote. So that's one. And then one other professor I want to like share their uh, thoughts on this is Dr. Susan Hackenbeck, a senior archaeology lecturer at Cambridge, who added, shout out to Peggy Piggott, who at the time already had huge amounts of fieldwork experience under her belt. But why show a young woman competent at a skilled job when you can portray her in short skirts and a bit ditzy? Yeah, it's true. Um you know, in a way, like, it's kind of a format film, isn't it? Like, get the historical content in, make it romanticised and just rely on that and make it kind of a formula film. I just think that it was such a missed opportunity because so not only is this dig history changing, but yeah. women were so involved yeah. in the success, in the documentation, yeah. in the excavation of this yeah. and really only Edith Pretty gets yeah. um, recognition, which rightfully she should because she, that depiction, the only kind of fault with this is that she was in her 50s and I believe she was 56 during the excavation. Yeah, because in, in this, like she looks like young and it kind of looks like a tragedy that she's sick. Yeah, I read, I think this was from IMDb, like, trivia, that Nicole Kidman was originally supposed to portray Edith Pretty and then Which couldn't have been more accurate. I due mean, to yeah. scheduling conflicts. And Carrie Mulligan's... Did a good job. She, I mean, phenomenal performance. Do not yeah. get me wrong. Wow. But I just think it's funny that they were like, oh, we can have Nicole Kidman. No, we can't have her. So that's docked well, down 20 years. <laughs> yeah. Because... The age of Ray Fiennes as Basil Brown is pretty spot on, give or take. Like, he was in his 50s. And so I just, that really kind of grinds my gears. Yeah. It's it's such a shame because obviously, like, it is 2021. And then it's so, like, obvious when you know these things that you're like, but why? Why do you have to do this? Yeah, and I mean, this is based off how the book is written. Yeah. So the nephew has since said, like, I didn't mean to disrespect my aunt. I wanted to make this as, like, readable as possible and blah, blah, blah. And I just, I don't know much about that. And, like, if she was alive for the response, I don't think she was. But it's just, ugh, men yet again like rewriting history and erasing women 
But I know that's a bit of recent history. I mean, it's not even that. So I know that yeah. that's a bit of a, you know, broad statement, but it just, yeah, we're in the, we're in fucking 2021. Come that's so, that's on. It's just always astonishing. Like, cause also like the way Mrs. Pretty is portrayed, mm-hmm. he has all of like the good, like values that make a good woman, you know, like very reserved, very, um, quiet and all that and then but also like strong and willed and all that but like it's she probably wasn't like that portrayal is probably inaccurate as well I mean I know that she was like a very strong-willed woman she was the the reason that Basil Brown stayed on the dig is due to her and I don't know if you saw at the end it's interesting that the National Trust doesn't mention this but according to the film both Edith Pretty and Basil Brown were not initially credited. Yeah. It all went to like the guy at the British Museum, uh, Phillips. Which again made yeah. me so but then, mad. But, but then apparently, <laughs> uh, my aunt was saying that like the digger and um, archaeologist dynamic that mm-hmm. was something that was like very classically known to be like this divide where like the digger does most of the work and then the archaeologist does a different type of work. Yeah. Um, and then the digger never gets um credit not credit yeah and she said that actually to this day although diggers have like master's degrees and stuff there's still this divide and they still get paid nothing and that kind of dynamic that's so upsetting so that's quite I mean yeah there's kind of quote-unquote an interesting fact because obviously like it's quite hard to know what's what when yeah. you don't field. I think though that another thing with Basil Brown was that he wasn't just a digger. I mean, he was an yeah. archaeologist because he's like, this is Anglo-Saxon all along. Yeah. And that's also quite true, but, but because he was but self-taught. Educated, like, yeah. the same, like the Oxbridge circle and then everyone else, you know, that right. kind of thing. And I think that that was like a good depiction of yeah. the, um, yeah. the like elitism, I guess. Yeah. I also did think like, why was Lady James naked? Like no one needed to see that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there were, again, there were mm, things. And, like, I haven't found anything. I don't know how true the um, homoerotic storyline is with yeah. Simon Piggott. I mean, that does kind of expose the complications of, uh, you know, gay men during that time and their yeah. struggle. But, again, I have... But why would you choose to portray that and not portray the rest? Right, like, why is... Like, if you're going to go down that line, then portray it all. Right, exactly. So, and it, like, lingered a lot on this Piggott storyline, which Um, I felt was unnecessary at moments. Okay, it had character development, it had all that, but yeah, I think it was just a way to, like, sensationalize this story. Yeah, I mean, it's a formula movie in a way, you know? And... I mean, this is a successful film, but it, I just feel like it is unfortunate that it doesn't always live up to the potential of, like, telling Sutton Who more yeah. excitingly from a, you know, like, nerdy perspective of, like... Well, also, like, giving... Inspiring, really. Because also, if you if you don't challenge your audience to see things as they were, then it just reinforces an idea of how time was back then and how things worked back then yeah 
I felt like the film had a lot of moments and like part of the storyline was very implicit, but not explicit. Yeah. Where you had to be paying attention to get like, I'm just thinking towards the end when we don't see the the inquest, you know, talk and debate and everything. It's just in the car on the way back with Basil Brown and Edith Pretty and she breaks down and everything. He's like, I thought you would be happy. So that's because it was said that Edith Pretty, that that was her property, all the dig stuff. And then that was why she was allowed to donate it to the British Museum or gift it, I should say. But it's never like said you're so, and I know that's not maybe the best example, but it was just one of those things where I'm like, well, also it feels like in a way, like the dig was kind of a pretext for the romance and the the drama and the story and the drama. Yeah. I mean, obviously, and, you know, that scene when she's like towards the end of the film and she's in the middle of the dig with her son and, mm-hmm. Brown, and you know, they're going on about like how she's going to travel. And obviously that's a metaphor for her death. And because they're in the burial um, ship and stuff like that, like, yeah, that's just for the story effect. And that also coincides when like um, Peggy has sex with the cousin. So yeah. I, all of that. Well, the film I found. Yeah, the film played a lot with like the metaphoric idea of self-excavation and discovery. And it lingered too much on that. So like the scene where Basil Brown, the the dirt falls on him and buries him was so long. I was like, oh my God, this is so long. Like pull him out. But then it has the shot. I mean, it's a beautiful shot where it's an uh, eagle eye overhead shot and they're all digging him out and he is in the shape of bodies that are normally found in archaeological digs and they're softly brushing him out and so it's like he is being born of this earth but also he is being excavated he is being discovered if that were the case they would have gone really much faster because like yeah. You want to get him out and get the dirt out and make sure that he's alive like this like I thought he was dead like for like a good three minutes we're like is he dead he's not dead don't understand (laughs) yeah so and I think that, again, I mean, there's the beautiful moment where May, Basil Brown's wife, talks about, you know, tries to re-inspire him to return to the dig and about his contributions to history and the importance of this, which is so beautiful. It's around minute 50 in the film. But at the end of the movie, you know, we learn, oh, this was important, blah, blah, blah. But it, I wish that we would have gotten some more context on, like, there have been other digs yeah. that... This, you know, they're like someone famous or like a a king or someone was buried here. Yeah. And the conjecture still is that they're not, they can't be certain um, at the moment, but a popular candidate is King Raidwald, who ruled the kingdom of East Anglia around this time. He died in 624. And a lot of these uh, artifacts have been kind of isotopically scanned to be 625. (laughs) Burial time. And the, like, cultural significance of this, which is about burial changes, the coming of Christianity. This is considered the last major pagan burial site, kind of like a last hurrah. That the artifacts that were found came from, like, Byzantium, from Greece. It's insane. That, so it's, like, the known world at that time is being found in this site in southeast England. Yeah. And so how much that talks about Anglo-Saxon history and artifacts have been unearthed that 
predate this burial. Yeah. I mean, it's really like, actually talking through it with you is, is actually, it's interesting. There is so much that's missing from the film and there's not enough emphasis on the right things. I think you're very right. I mean, obviously you and all of the other humans know much more, <laughs> but like it is, it is a bit of a shame. It's a missed shot. I obviously it's good that archaeology has been put at the forefront, but like not, not as much as it should be. In a yeah. way, not contextualized in the way that it should be. No, I definitely um, agree. And I mean, some of what I'm talking about is also like beyond the scope of the excavation itself, right? Yeah, because the, the war true. came, all the materials were yeah, put. In 19, 1988, right? They did this, 1984 19, to 1988, they did the second excavation. Um, there's been excavations in the 60s, in the 80s, in the early 2000s. Right. Um, I'm looking on the National Trust. So 65 to 71. The finds were removed from storage and conservation reconstruction work began. This led to greater questions. So the area was re-excavated. Yeah. A team led by Rupert Bruce Mitford of the British Museum and Paul Ashby oversaw the work. The imprint of the ship was exposed once more, though it had suffered some damage. After the Royal Burial Ground had been used as a military training area and was fully excavated, including the area below the imprint of the ship. Um, and then 83 to 92, the area of the Royal Berry Ground was re, as you were saying, Ella, excavated in 1983 under the expert eye of Professor Martin Carver. Oh, that's my, that must have been what I read. Um, this excavation included the discovery of Mound 17, which contained a young warrior and his horse. Mound 14, which contained the only high status female burial on the site. And 39 uh, slightly later execution burials which had been preserved in the sand. Yeah. And there are still mounds that have been left unexcavated because they're hopefully, you know, for future scholars and future science able to enlighten more. Yeah, with yeah. I mean, um, I don't know. It is kind of disappointing when like you can see that a film takes its audience for stupid. Yeah, I just, as I was saying earlier, the film is very, like, it's very slow, right? And I know that it's... It's a slow burner in a way. And that's not always a bad thing, but I just felt that some of the shots could have been a bit shorter, not lingered, and that that time could have been contributed to, I don't know, talking more about the discourse, talking more about the ethics. Uh, So another moment, I think, actually, this links with us talking about burials, right, is Edith pretty saying this is a burial site someone was buried here yeah the body hasn't been found it decomposed over time but that brings in the ethics of like this isn't just an old ruin or something like this was buried for a purpose yeah I mean the ship was brought from the river carried up new wood was chopped to make the chamber that land was dug out body placed artifacts placed then carefully yeah. covered, then buried into a mound. Yeah. Well, I mean, they do talk about that, but maybe they don't talk about it in the way that we would want them to. Like, or they don't talk about it bar- enough. They well, I mean, they first talk about it. Um, many characters talk about it. And then in the final speech that Miss Pretty gives, um, she talks about it for like five minutes. I mean, obviously not the ethics of it, um, but it is mentioned. I didn't. I didn't find that. For example, obviously, like the ethics of archaeology aren't mentioned. If that makes sense. 
I mean, I guess also in the thirties, they didn't really think about it. I don't know. I just found that it was like, this is Anglo-Saxon and how exciting. And then they're like, oh, this takes us out of the dark ages. Like we said earlier, but I just, I don't know. I felt like there could have been more of yeah, yeah. that. No, I would agree with that. I would agree. I think, yeah, like things were alluded to that probably could have been replaced, probably could have replaced the stuff that like romanticized the story. Because actually, you're right. Like, why does the story have to be romanticized? It's quite an incredible story that stands on its own two feet, you know? Yeah. It doesn't need anything else. It's extraordinary and it's, it's insanely important. Why do we need nudity, sex? Yeah. The archaeologist who ends up being like this super like insane archaeologist actually was just a badass. I mean, you're right. It, that that wasn't necessary. That all of that stuff wasn't necessary, but somehow yeah. that failed like what, 25 minutes of screen time? Yeah. I just, I don't know. I feel like there are gaps. I mean, I guess like one last thing, it's not in the film, but I was like curious because I did not know is where was the Sutton who helmet that's like the iconograph that's the icon of this dig right is this amazing amazing helmet that has been reconstructed over time yeah so the helmet pieces were indeed found in the 1939 excavation right and because it was in separate pieces they didn't know what they had found right so it wasn't until later that they were like understanding how important this piece was and this is considered like one of the most spectacular archaeological discoveries ever made yeah and perhaps is the most important for an anglo-saxon artifact yeah and i just felt like oh at the end with like the textual stuff i don't know i just felt like there could have been more i guess these gaps do lead people to want to research this after the film which Which is is good It's good. Like, you know, people go to the British Museum, but I often think, like, there's so much there that you may not see everything and you may not be interested in everything. So shedding light on something like this is is good. It's national treasure. Yeah. I just, I agree. I don't know. Maybe I'm being too harsh. Maybe I'm being, like, I'm getting too immersed in no, academia I think, I mean, for I mean, a see, like, the, the, simple the, the, film. The thing is, like... <laughs> In a way, like, I think you're right. Like, it's a slow burner, but it could have been a slow burner with, like, historical accurate... Like, in a way, they were taking us through what it must have been like, you know, a slow burner mm-hmm. like that. But then they did need to romanticize it. Because if they were going to romanticize it, they should have romanticized the archaeological discovery. That should have been the main focus, you know? Yeah, I just... Like, the storyline with Edith and her struggle... That's fine because that's yeah. actually like historic fact, even though there is the romanticizing I of also, it. Yeah, I kind of thought for some reason in my mind that she was like the age of the actress or like more or less that age. So no, I, 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 I thought it was much more tragic, obviously still tragic, but like <laughs> um, less so to a certain extent. Right. No, I did as well. And then when I discovered this, I, you know, did the math and I was like, wait, no, she was in her fifties. And I think that also would have changed the tone of the film. Yes. Yes. And then, yes, I agree with, I mean, they could have kept some of like, I guess the romance in if you really wanted to, but like sex unnecessary in an archaeological film. Also, she didn't have to be naked. I didn't yeah, see the point of like that. the bath scene. Not, that was long. Yeah. And so there is this still like scopophilic nature that leans towards yeah. 
Also, you could have kept this nudity if you really wanted to, but made her like more assertive and like just told her true story yeah, that exactly. she was an experienced archaeologist. Yeah. And then you know, you could have still had the guy taking photographs, but you could have had another woman taking photographs. Like that would have been enough. I think you're right. Like the two main like threads that um of criticism is that like okay, you can romanticize it, but you, the, the romanticism should have been not on the characters, but on the on the act and on the excavation and yeah. more on that. And it should have been more historically accurate. Yeah. I mean, I could see people arguing, well, it is about the dig because the shots do linger. Yeah, it is very yeah, bound to the earth and the tones. And I but guess- it's a shame because like, I feel like you leave the film without knowing too much more. Yeah, I just, I do wish that they would have had a bit more talking, like, you know, when they find the coin and I talk about that, that was great because it really yeah. showed what was being found. But there's nothing about like this- cloisonné work I don't know if they really like saw how much of that like the first thing that um Peggy finds right is this weird little like triangle thing yeah and you're like what is that and then she finds the coin after that so those pyramids which were quite small like that had the garnet cloisonné and if you go to the National Trust page there's like um yeah about this yeah, there is like a um, report sheet or something that has a drawing of the cloisonne, and it says in the notes, like, some red glass, I cannot expect this to be garnet, which is proven to be garnet in That's time. So cool. That is a major yeah. thing. I mean, obviously, like, let's be honest, they could have done that in the film, but they could have put more. <laughs> like, emphasis on, like, the detail of this yeah. work. The craft yeah. that was involved is truly extraordinary. Yeah, it's true. Also, it's very interesting because, like, for example, my aunt was going on about how, like, through that dig, because mm-hmm. of the method that they employed, mm-hmm. it changed the way that archaeological digs um, took place through the diaries, through all of that. And there's none of that. Like, I wouldn't, if I hadn't spoken to her, I would not know that. Yeah, and I wish that that could have been something. Because we could have said that, like, you know, in the end note, like, at the end of the film, when they went on Mm -hmm. about, like, the character stories, which obviously, like, they're they're interesting. um, Mm -hmm. But more could have been said about the dig, more could have been said about the method, more could have been said, just, like, allude to it. You don't actually have to develop it too much. But, like, make it accessible. Yeah, I kind of wish, I guess this is more like a documentary thing, but you know, sometimes at the end of a film where it gives the text and then it'll intersperse like a video clip from a talk or something, you know, saying like this dig changed the world, blah, blah, blah. So like the Sutton Who um, historic site museum opened in like around 2000. I bet there's some recording of that that has like a speech that talks about this. I feel like that would have been a really great little two minute clip contribution at the end before the credits. That really yeah. said, like, emphasized kind of in a more contemporary moment how significant yeah. this was. But maybe, the, again, that's, like, me asking too much. Well, well, you know, maybe a tiny bit. But, like, the general sentiment, I think, is actually accurate. And in a way, it's kind of a shame that, like, you have this opportunity. Mm-hmm. It's a shame not to use it for something slightly different than the norm, you know? Yeah. I wonder. films have been made about Sutton Who? This is probably the first one. Yeah, I wonder if this wouldn't have done better being, like, a limited series. Yes, yes. They did that with Chernobyl. I mean, obviously, yeah. different, different kind of thing. But and obviously, really good series. I watched it. I would recommend. But it, it would have been cool that way, yeah. Completely. Um, you know, like, I four episodes though, or something. It'll be interesting to see how many people watch it. And obviously, it's still at the beginning of the release, so we'll, we won't really know what kind of... Yeah, 
Um, and I mean, I like on Twitter, I follow uh, Dr. Janina Ramirez. She's a historian and Anglo-Saxon and medieval historian at Ooh. Oxford. And she works with BBC and does like documentaries and work. Okay. And she did one on Sutton Hoo and the dig a few years ago. And she keeps petitioning on Twitter. She like tags BBC and she's like, re-release the documentary I did. Cause this talks about the history that the dig doesn't. And I'm like, yes. But yeah. at the same time, sometimes those kind of shows, some people aren't as keen because they think that it's too academic or too yeah. historic. But then, you know, you could have had the romanticized film and then have to be like, okay, that was really cool. I'm really interested now know, knowing more about Sutton Who. Mm-hmm. And then you can have the documentary and then you can have the actual facts and that kind of thing. Yeah. So I'm not sure if BBC has ended up releasing it, but she's like a really cute, dynamic, fun talker too, you know? And yeah. it's, I guess just time will will tell on yeah. how much this film has inspired particular interest in Sutton Who. I am still very appreciative that it was made. Yeah. Great I performances. Mean, yeah. In a way, I'm really like now I really want to know more and I will be bombarding my aunt. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm excited no for whenever, you know, she can yeah. come on and we can touch Talk. upon this yeah. as well as her own research. But yeah. I guess as like a concluding thought on my behalf, glad that the film was made. Ray finds phenomenal performance, yeah. even though it was, you know, anachronistic or historically inaccurate. Carrie Mulligan, great performance. Yeah. The film was beautiful. I think yeah. that it does a good job as a whole, but knowing a bit more of the historic facts, really upset that women were excluded really upset that they were uh like made into objects and dumbed down come on 21st century yeah and yeah I just kind of wish that there might have been a bit more of like a factual punch yeah well thank you so much for all the factual stuff I mean (laughs) sorry audience you had to hear me like think this through (laughs) um but it was very interesting I thought it was a I love the photography and I thought that was beautiful. And I really thought that, like, the way in which you discover the ship, us common humans will never experience that. Um, so that right. was very good. Um, I agree with you. The representation of women is... It's a shame. It's a missed opportunity. And, it's a major uh, missed opportunity. Yeah. And it's just... It's so silly because, like, I don't know. I listen to, like, the Great Women Artists podcast and, like, you know there's so much emphasis on that and then you're like no but actually in common things that still get released today mm-hmm. that's still missed out on and it's a shame mm-hmm. um and yes everything else that we've talked about um I really enjoyed this episode so thank you guys and obviously audience if th- you have any thoughts send us whatever you think if you disagree with us that's absolutely fine but like tell us what you think it's, it's an interesting debate really Yeah, and you can share all that information through our contact info. (laughs) Lovely segue. So you can email us if you'd like. uh, Just type modern.medieval.podcast at gmail.com. You can um, Facebook us. We've got a group and a page. Um, Just type Modern Medieval Podcast. You can find us on Instagram by typing podcast.modern.medieval. And obviously, you can find us on more episodes um, wherever you listen to your podcast on. So on Apple Podcasts, Audible, Amazon, Spotify, just type Modern Medieval the Podcast. Yeah. And then finally, you can find us on Twitter under the handle at medieval underscore modern. 
So yeah, thank you again. And we're, this was a fun episode that will have a lovely kind of segue into next week, which has lots of other surprises bound into it. Yeah. So until next time, I'm Megan. And I'm Elo. And this is Modern Medieval, the podcast. (laughs) Sutton (laughs) Hall.